Good morning, Restore. Happy birthday. Uh, so, some of you have been around since the very beginning. Some of you have been around the last couple of months. Um, whether you've been around since before COVID or you have found us in the last couple of months or years, I just want to say, like, we are so grateful uh, that you are here. I'm trying not to cry. I promised myself I would not, and I haven't even started yet, and I'm already getting to. Um, this journey that we have been on is one that honestly um, ends for me in gratitude. Uh, so as I was reflecting on it over this last week, um, it's been one of those things that has pushed me past every limit I thought I had, pushed me like past every insecurity I thought I had. And yet, like, as I reflected on the journey, um, what I had was a deep sense of gratitude, a deep sense of love for who we are. <clears throat> Sorry. I, the whole, they're like, is this whole sermon going to be like this? It's not. Like, I will, I will get there. Um, but as I thought of just the ways that you guys love one another and have loved me, like, it, it's, it felt weird for me, like, as a pastor to say, like, I feel loved by my church. Like I've just, I've seen so many of those situations where like the pastor just feels like there's this sense of like, I'm always on performance. I'm always being judged. I'm always being critiqued. And there was this sense for my wife and I, as we reflected on just the last couple of years of this sense of like, we've been profoundly loved. My child comes to church, isn't excited uh, to see her aunties and her uncles, and there's something profoundly beautiful about that. So as we get ready to celebrate uh, our anniversary this, uh, this, this morning, we're going to be looking at one of Paul. So we've been uh, in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Um, why this letter is so beautiful is because it's one of the very first letters that he wrote in his New Testament. Uh, so it's, if you think about this for a second, if you, if you think about like what the church is, this is one of the first times like we hear that word church, like just appear anywhere in history. And as Paul writes these words to this church, he pours his heart out for the church. And so this morning, what we're actually going to be in is one of the prayers that Paul has for his church. So I think prayers that Paul has actually really help us, like it explains a lot of who Paul was and his heart for his people and like what church is. Uh, so I'm the daughter of a, I'm, a, I'm the father of a, of a three-year-old uh, daughter. And so like my life, literally like I'm explaining everything all the time. Uh, and I wish this were actually a joke. It's not. You can ask her this uh, later, but she likes her current explanation she, uh, for where my hair has gone. Uh, if you ask her, she says, a birdie knocked him over. I'm not making this up. She says, a birdie knocked him over and took it. I was like, thanks. It makes it sound like I got mugged by a bird, and then he made off with my wallet and my hair. But, like, everything I'm doing right now is sort of explaining, like, the world, how it is, like, how it operates. Like, there's this fresh sense of, like, of, like awe and wonder that she has over, like, her world, I think Paul's prayers have a similar sense. They explain some of like the, just kind of the wonder and the awe of what's happening here. Wait a second. There's this Jesus who has come, God in flesh, who has given his life for this group of people in this very hostile, ancient world. And all of a sudden they have come together and they've started to learn to love one another, to care for one another, to see one another, and to worship this Jesus. 
And I think sometimes for us, it's easy to just like miss some of the wonder and the beauty of Paul's words. But one of the things that I think helps us kind of cue into like who he was, explain like his heart for his church is his prayers. Because they're more of like, the, like if you read those prayers, if you read Paul, like he wasn't always scripted. And so there, there are parts in some of his letters where he almost just sort of like burst out in this like emotional, like, and I love you. And this is what I'm praying for you. And like, would you, like, I'm hoping that you'll find peace and joy and join me in worshiping this God who has loved us, who has redeemed us, who has saved us and is calling us to him. And so in the middle of this letter in Thessalonians, where we're in this morning, Paul does that. There's this prayer that's sort of just like tucked in the middle of it. And what we're going to do this morning is I'm just going to go briefly through that prayer. We have a lot that we're going to do this morning um, as we celebrate. But I want us to just look at this prayer almost with a fresh set of eyes, almost like an explanation of like who Paul was, like what he was envisioning, what he was dreaming about for his church. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The words will also be behind me on the screen if that's helpful for you. Uh, and we're going to be starting in verse 13. This is where the prayer uh, in that part of the, of the book is tucked away, starting in verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. Because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you and every good deed and word. Let me pray for us this morning, and then we're going to get started. Well, Father, um, for these next few minutes as we gather around uh, your word, as we gather around um, your heart for us, Father, would you, would you be here with us? Would you have mercy on us? Would you be present with us? Um, Father, we need you desperately this morning. Um, would you show us how to love you? Would you show us how to love one another? Father, we're grateful for the ways that you have been incredibly kind to us the ways that you have cared for us, the compassion and the mercy you have shown us. Would you help us to do that with one another? We pray all of these things, Father, in your name. Amen. So in, in this tiny, short little prayer, uh, Paul has three things I think that he's really wanting to t like get across to his church, to this community of people. Three things that I think he wants them to see as he wants them to be this community uh, of faith, of love, of uh, like, as he says, good deeds, good works towards one another. There's three things that I think Paul kind of lays as a foundation for this to happen. The first thing I think he wants them to see is he wants them to free them from their need for control. 
Okay, we'll talk about that. But I want to I want to just preface with um, here's here's the three things that I think he's doing. First, he wants them to free them from their need to control. He sees and knows that if they feel like they have a sense of they need to control everything, they're not going to be free to love one another. Um, I'll unpack that a little bit more. The second thing I think he does is he calls them to holy community. Okay, so, so this one, um, as Americans in particular and like Western individual societies, like we've not quite adopted this or understood this well, um, but Paul very much sees the redemptive work of the Spirit in the church as happening in and among the people. The living presence of God, Jesus resurrected, is redeeming, restoring, and saving each of them, which means the presence of the living, loving God resides in and among them. And he wants them to see this as they look at one another in this kind of way. The last thing that Paul's going to do is he's going to remind them that the story that they've started uh, is, is something that Jesus is going to bring about to completion, but it's a fir- like they are already part of the story. Okay, so it's very easy for us to sort of feel like um, I'm, I'm sort of doing church and sort of waiting for Jesus to get back, and that's when the good stuff starts. But what Paul wants to do is he wants them to see like this new kingdom of love, this new kingdom of redemption and mercy has started now with you. It's going to continue with you. It's not something you have to wait for. It's something you get to actively and eagerly participate in now as it gives you hope and faith and encouragement. So those three things, let's unpack those a little bit. So Paul says, uh, starting in verse um, 13, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Okay, so here's what, here's what Paul is saying is, God chose you. Stop and think about this for a second. God chose you. What he's doing there is he's inviting them to surrender. You didn't choose God. He chose you. So any fears that you have that like you're out of his plan or like he's forgotten you or that he's not going to be good to you, like I want you to see here that he has chosen you. Why this is so significant is because it releases them from a sense of control. Um, And maybe I'm the only one in the room with control issues. Maybe you guys don't have control issues. I have control issues. But one of the things that I do know about control is it's often rooted in fear. Right? We're afraid of the outcome. We're afraid of not being loved. We're afraid of not being seen. We're afraid of not being safe. And so we have this urgent sense, I've got to control things. But the reality is, I think our deep need to control things actually depletes us of the energy that we need to be free to love one another. I think Paul knows this. If you're really going to be a church that thrives, if you're really going to be people that love one another, There has to be a part of you that recognizes that none of this is actually dependent on you. God chose you. Because underneath all of that, underneath our need to control, I think is also sometimes a lack of an understanding of grace. So if you're like me, we often think of grace as like this thing that God gives us when we couldn't make it all the way. 
almost like a 60-40 or like a 70-30 kind of thing. Like I'm working really hard and I'm not totally perfect. So like God comes in and kind of fills in the cracks where he needs to, like fills in the gaps. Like as, as I'm building my life, I can, I've got certain sets of skills that'll help me get so far, but like to get all the way, I'm gonna need a little help from him to get me there. And so we often see grace as sort of like filling in kind of where we need him to. But what Paul wants them to understand is Christ has built your entire foundation. He's building the entire thing. And instead of you feeling like you've got to urgently control things and do things yourself, like let go and let God build what he's doing in and among you. You see, for us, like it's hard for us to totally and completely grab grace because it's still hard for us to, I think, sometimes totally and completely grasp that we are unconditionally loved by God through Christ. And so we engineer our lives, I, at least I engineer mine, uh, in a way that like, I always maintain a sense of control. And if there's one thing that this experience, like starting this has taught me, is like the more I try to control every outcome, the more I try to control every opinion and every situation, the more exhausted and depleted I feel. Until we finally have to ask the question, until I finally have to ask the question, is like, wait, am I trusting that God has the outcome of the thing I'm so anxious about or so worried over? We exhaust ourselves because we're afraid to trust grace. And that deep sense of control moves us, but then often depletes us and keeps us from being able to love one another well. So the first thing that Paul wants to do is you are first fruits. God chose you his love for you, his grace for you, the way that he's reaching down and like redeeming you and making you into something beautiful. This has nothing to do with your effort. It never did. It's not an 80-20 thing or a 90-10 thing. It's not even like if I try, like depending on how confident you are in yourself, some of us are like, I can get 95% of the way there, but then I need God 5% of the time. What Paul's saying is, you can let go of any of that sense that you had to do anything to earn God's approval, to earn acceptance of him. I think this sits well with us, like we like that idea until we're pushed at that moment in which we gotta actually let go. Right, that moment in our life in which we realize I had so little control all along as I was journaling a lot this week, and I never journal. When I say journal, I don't have like a book that I like write in. I like scribble things on my phone um, or a notepad and, and uh, uh, an app. Um, but as, as I was scroll, like as I was reflecting on like where have I felt like the most sense of angst, I can almost always trace it back to, I've got this sense that it's not gonna be okay unless I intervene in some kind of big way because I don't know exactly how God's gonna do it. And as I trace like where I feel most angst, where I feel often most depleted, and what I'm actually learning now is where I actually fail to love well and fully is in those moments where I feel depleted by the amount of control my need to control has over me. 
And so what Paul's inviting them to do, like he knows if you're going to be a community that actually loves each other, in Thessalonica, it's a difficult environment, by the way. Like, it doesn't, we, there was like real persecution. Like people, like homes and families are being ripped apart. He's essentially writing to survivors of what is an ethnic cleansing that's happening in Thessalonica. If you're going to really withstand this, right? Like if you're going to get through this moment loving one another, the first thing I've got to get you to do is see that you are the first fruits. God has chosen you long before you ever had any concept of who he was or his love for you. He knows that unless they are free from their need to control, building love will be something that's very difficult for their community which is exactly the second thing that Paul wants them to see, is they're being called the holy community. Okay, so um, this one's also hard for us uh, because it means we have to have faith in people. Uh, And every time I get on Facebook, I'm like, that idea of like buying a cabin in the woods somewhere where nobody can reach me just sounds better and better all the time. Uh, But the reality is like, He wants them to see that the primary way which God is moving, this Holy Spirit that God has gifted you with, is now indwelled inside each of you. Here's what that means. Sitting in this room, those of us who are following Jesus or know Jesus, and by the way, if that's not you this morning, if you're like, I'm still here checking things out, I just want to say, like, I'm so glad that you're here. You're welcome here. You're safe here. Um, I want you to feel truly at home to be able to both say, I don't buy this quite yet, but also I'm interested in learning more about it. But the reality is for those of us who do follow Jesus or know him, his spirit is working inside of you, which means you are the presence of the loving, living God to the people around you. They will learn about God, see God, worship God, glorify God through the work that he does through you making you integrally important to the community around you. It's not just like, let's be friendly and nice and high-five one another. It's a sense of, I am the presence of God. Not because I am God, but because his spirit is working through me redemptively, making me more like him. So, I think a lot of us um, want to see church as something where we go and we learn about God. I want us to be a church where we go and learn from God because we have direct, real experiences and encounters with him. And from the bottom of my heart, one of the ways that we feel here at Restore that that happens is through one another. This makes you integral and vitally important to both shaping and cultivating and like being a part of someone's experience of God. So I I think, um, and this is going to sound, so before you walk out, let me explain it. Uh, So I I think oftentimes we reduce Jesus to an example by which we need to follow. Um, He is an example for us to follow. I'm not saying that, okay? So, but here's what I am saying, um, is that we often don't, like, we want to live like Jesus without allowing the source that was the life for Jesus to be our source. 
which is holy, intimate communion with the Father. So uh, someone actually tried this one time. Uh, his name was Leo Totso. You might have read him in like a literature class. Um, he was a Russian novelist uh, who ended up being, he ended up reading, what happened was he ended up reading the Sermon on the Mount and basically came to the conclusion, this is the most like profound, like if the world actually did what Jesus says to do on the Sermon on the Mount, like everything would change. And so he like resolved, he made this resolution that he was going to 100% and every way that he could like follow the Sermon on the Mount, live the Sermon on the Mount. He heard Jesus when he said, be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. And he decided like, I'm going to make this resolution to do this. And like, it sounds like one thing we should all aspire to. Except that when you actually peel back the layers of his life, he actually lived a very miserable life. He alienated his wife and his children. He alienated most of the people around him. And then eventually he actually died alone uh, in a train station. And the reason I bring this up is because we often feel that like God's given us this example of things that we then need to like spend our life trying to do. The problem is we end up very similar to Leo I just called him Leo. We're not on a first name basis, but we can end up in a very similar situation where we exhaust ourselves trying to keep up with this ideal when the reality was Jesus lived the life that he lived because of the like joyful, holy, intimate communion he had with the Father, which now because of his work through the cross and the resurrection is readily available to each of us which means that the source of our life is the Father working redemptively and restoratively and mercifully and gracefully in each of our hearts. And so when I say that we want to be an integral part of, of people's, like, helping the Spirit shape and cultivate our experience of God, what we're doing is we're facilitating a meeting space. We're facilitating a space for that to actually happen. And so the next thing that Paul does in his letters, he wants, like, I want you to be a community, but that doesn't mean I want you to just, like, all get together and eat the same, like, gluten-free kale chips and, like, high-five each other on the weekend. What I want you to see is the Spirit of God is working in and among and through each of you, and there is a very real sense in which you will help someone else encounter the Spirit of God by offering your life to them, and when they do the same to you. Paul sees no other way. Like, if you're going to be a healthy church that survives what you're facing, there is no other way for you to do this other than to learn to share your lives with one another. The last thing that Paul does is he wants to remind them that this story is just a continuation of what's already happening. Uh, so very, at the very end of the letter, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you and every good deed and word. Paul very much sees when he says, like, you're going to share in God's glory. Um, what does that actually mean? What does it mean to you're, you, you guys together are going to share in this? It can somewhat sound like, 
when God comes back and everybody sees that he's in charge, you guys get to like be in charge also. And everybody's like, man, I should have listened to that group of people more. Look how smart they were, moral they were, religious they were. Like now they're on top because God came back and like put them there. But what Paul is saying is what Paul sees as Christ's glory, God's glory is his love. The work at which Christ through surrender and through submission and through sacrifice offered himself to these people when he returns, this is the new currency by which the world operates, mercy and grace and love. Right, so there's all this talk right now of like, how do we like educate our kids to prepare them well for life? Uh, we want to teach them how currency works, right? Like how the world works. If you work, you get paid. If you don't work, you don't get paid, right? Like there's, there's some basic concepts that we want to teach them so that when like they actually grow up and encounter life, they flourish and thrive and do well. And we feel successful as parents and right? Like that's, that's good and healthy and right. I'm not criticizing that in any way. What I want us to see is like, that's similar to what Paul is doing here. What he wants them to see is the new currency in this kingdom when Jesus returns will be love and mercy and grace. I want you to be ready for it. I don't want it to feel unfamiliar to you. You will share in this glory, which is God's love, as you learn to love and care for one another now, as the Spirit works His way through your community, as you learn to surrender your lives to God, to let go of your deep-seated need for control, you will be shaped to share in God's glory, to share in the glory of Jesus when he returns. And so Paul wants them to see this is very much a continuation of what started with them. Yes, they are waiting for the final fulfillment as Christ returns. Like the, It's not complete yet, but the story that God has started writing of this new coming kingdom starts with you now. You get to be joyful, eager participants in this. And so our hope for just you guys at Restore is this, that we would actually see ourselves as being invited into like active, eager participation in this new coming kingdom with the ways that we learn to love one another to let go of our sense of control, to let the Spirit work in and among us. This is what Paul is saying, I think has to happen for this healthy church to like thrive. And so like this is where like his prayers, like this is what his prayers reflect. It's the part, of, like the deepest part of him, the desire that he wants for his church is shown through the way that he prays for his church. I want this to be the way that we pray for one another. I want this to be the way that we love one another. I want this to be the way that we think about one another. This person that I am getting to know or don't know so well or I'm learning about is actually someone that God is redeeming and restoring. Like his spirit's actively working in this person. And I want to be curious as to, like, I want to see what that is. I want to see how God moves in this person's life. I want to see how Jesus redeems this person because it's going to show me new things about God's character. It's going to show me things about God's glory. I want to be able to worship God because of what I see him doing in you.
This is my hope. This is our hope for y'all as a church, um, as a people. Um, I want us to be a church. I want over the next year as we vision cast and think about what it means to be a church in a non-pandemic world. Um, this is my heart for us. Um, this is our heart as a church. Um, let me pray for us as we close this morning uh, and we get ready to eat tacos, which is the real reason all of you guys are here this morning. <laughs> oh, Father, we love you. Um, thank you for um, just the way that you have cultivated your mercy and grace among us, the way that your spirit is present with us. Would you help us, God? We need you as we get ready for this next chapter of our life, um, this next chapter in our church. Um, Father, would you have some real mercy on us this morning? We love you. Would you show us how to love each other? We pray these things in your name. Amen.